0: Take your seats and uh, good evening to you all. It's really lovely to see you this evening. Thank you very much for for coming out to be with us in Dundonald Elam Church and thank you also for your prayers this morning. Um, I was away preaching in in another church today and it was great to do that. But tell you what, it's always lovely to come home. And it's amazing for, for my family how, after such a short period of time in this church, this is home and this is our family. And it is a lovely family that we have here in this church. And we just see the pictures of the the day out in Tullymore and opportunities that we have, the barn dance, all the rest of it, just to get to know each other. And we love you. And we love being part of this. It's just wonderful. Actually, I'm glad to get my initiation over and done with (laughs) in Tullymore. I can't wait to see what's going to happen to Malcolm Duncan whenever he gets here. It should be very, very interesting. But it is, it is lovely to be here. And you know what, if you're visiting tonight, uh, you're very welcome. My name's Pip, and along with Davey, I'm part of the pastoral lead team in this church. And if you're looking for a fellowship, this is a great church. It's not a perfect church, but it's a great church. And uh, we'd love to speak to you afterwards about what this church does and what we hope to be in, in the Lord. So please do speak to us afterwards. So, over the past number of months, what we've done on Sunday nights is look at the theme of warnings and examples. And what we're going to do this evening is is look at a warning Jesus gives us in in Scripture. It might initially sound an unusual topic to think about, but it's a hugely important one. So, if you have a Bible with you, please open it at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start reading from verses verse 25. We're going to read two passages of Scripture, so if you're able to, uh, maybe mark 1 Timothy chapter 6 as well, and we'll come to it straight after. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is the inspired and the authoritative Word of God. Jesus is speaking. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added on to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble and if you have first timothy just flick over to that first timothy chapter 6 and we're going to read from verse 6 now godliness with contentment is great gain godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we will carry nothing out And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Amen. We know God will add... His blessing to that reading from his word. Bill Heibel said this it beckons and woos us, it tantalizes and seduces us, it sucks us into its grasp and wreaks havoc with our lives. Thankfully, Bill was not speaking about marriage, um, <laughs> but he was talking about money. He was talking about money, and we live in a world that is obsessed with money and one that also demands its use. Money affects all of our lives and Jesus said a lot about it. We often hear how Jesus said more about hell than he did heaven. Well actually Jesus also said more about money than he did about hell. One third of his parables were about money. In fact the only subject he gave more attention to in scripture was the kingdom of God. The only subject Jesus gave more attention to than money was the kingdom of God. I remember hearing someone say that if you averaged it out in the scriptures, Jesus mentioned money once in every seven verses of the gospel. So it was a clearly, it was a very important subject. And Jesus lived in what was obviously a Roman-occupied society where the social elite lived ridiculously opulent lives. And the religious elite knew great wealth too. One of the reasons the Pharisees hated Jesus was because of the way the penniless preacher from Nazareth spoke about money. Um, in, In Luke chapter 16, verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard these things and derided Jesus. They hated the way he spoke about money. But whilst the the social and the religious elite knew great wealth, 90% of the population, uh, the Jewish people, just about managed to exist. So there was no middle class. Either you were very wealthy or you weren't. So with an, an audience who in the main knew very much what it was to be in need, Jesus spoke often about Money, not to bring a health, wealth, or prosperity type message like we see on Christian TV channels, but to point out what is important in life, what really is important in life, and to reveal that how we view money can often tell us a lot about ourselves. How we view money can tell us a lot about ourselves. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Also, So money was a a big issue in the first century, and it still is today. And if you pardon the pun, there are two sides to the money coin. On one side, it can bring great blessing, or as Bill Heibel said, it can wreak havoc in our lives. Money can be used or abused. It can free or imprison. It can bring great generosity or lustful greed. There are two sides to the money coin, but one thing we cannot do is ignore it. We cannot ignore it because we all need money to exist and to maintain the daily lives that each of us have. But I believe the message of Scripture is one that calls us to really look at how we control our attitude towards money. So in the 21st century, like the the first century where there is great opulence and there's tragic poverty, Jesus speaks. But before I I say anything about what he had to say in the scripture we read, I want to say something about God and money, which is important. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is is the root of all kinds of evil. This verse lets us see that money, and even having money, is not evil. The love of money is. Not all rich people are consumed with love for money, but some poor people can absolutely idolize it. Levels of wealth Do not indicate the love for money. Money is not evil. When we look in the Old Testament, we read some of the the great patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were amongst some of the most wealthy people on earth. God is not anti-money either. As Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 reminds us, money is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. He's not against it. He's against the misuse. Of money. If you remember in the Old Testament, one of the, the main reasons that God let the children of Israel be taken into exile was because of the way they neglected. They neglected the poor whilst lying on beds of ivory. Money or having it is not evil. God is not against it, but the warning for Scripture is that it can become the root of all kinds of evil. In our lives. 1 Timothy 6 says, Those who desire to be rich can fall into a temptation and a snare. We've been singing all night about freedom and the freedom that God gives us in our lives and in our relationships with him. But money is certainly something that can produce a huge bind or snare on our lives when it becomes something that we love, something that we crave, or something that we rely upon. Now, this is a massive subject. It's actually one that we could do a whole series on. But for tonight, what I want to do is simply share two points, two very simple points about how a right attitude towards money can bring great focus in our lives and also bring great joy. Firstly, a right attitude towards money can bring great focus. Focus. What is the primary focus for every believer? Well, Jesus tells us what it is in, in, in Matthew 25, verse 31. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And in this chapter, Jesus warns us against worrying about what we need in life. He warns us against worrying about what we need in life. And I'm sure all of us have known times in our lives where we have spent a lot of fo- our focus worrying about the things that we need in life. But when our focus is right as Christians, money and what we need will not occupy the number one place of importance. Jesus will. Seek first the kingdom of God. Our allegiance, folks, should never be uh, in money, the economy, banks, our employers, and, the last decade has confirmed this on a global scale. Our allegiance should be to God alone. And our trust should be in God, who Jesus says will meet our needs. Will meet our needs. Verse 22, Jesus says, Stop worrying about what you will eat and what you will wear. If God feeds the birds and the clothes and the clothes, and the flowers, how much more will he provide for our needs? Seek first the kingdom. However, a big part of the problem for us living in the West is how we can have a wrong attitude towards money and how we misinterpret what our needs are. We often do this in our lives. We misinterpret what our needs are. A worldly attitude towards money reads that scripture and says, and all these things will be added on to you and thinks, happy days. A godly attitude understands that the context of that scripture, I have heard that scripture, Seek first the kingdom, quoted so many times and so out of context. The context of what Jesus promises, the only thing he promises to add on to our lives is food and clothing. All these things will be added onto you. So if we adopt a worldly attitude or focus towards money, it's going to become a massive focus for us. It's going to become a massive love for us. And we're going to become consumed with the pursuit of things or what we perceive we need in life. And do you know what? A focus like that is only going to result in perhaps one of two things, either waste or debt. And mingle in with all of that is worry. A worldly attitude towards money will become consumed by a pursuit of things and will result in waste or debt. Let me explain. Waste can come from people who have money, but extravagantly use it and spend it on things they do not need. And this attitude can breed a a, a focus that is never satisfied because there's always going to be somebody out there who has a bigger house or a bigger car, or goes on more holidays, or has nicer clothes than what we do. And a worldly attitude becomes besotted with things and acquiring more stuff. And just it produces waste. And a focus that's never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 8 says, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. And that's true when we're focused on the world. The other extreme is how a worldly focus towards money can produce debt when we have a wrong concept of what our needs actually are. People striving, not after the contented life God talks about in 1 Timothy 6, but after things they cannot afford and find themselves crippled with debt or or, or worry. The very thing Jesus warns us against. And there may be people here who are, are struggling through unemployment or debt. And the scripture says to us, Trust God. Seek first his kingdom. Now, that does not negate the responsibilities we have to pursue work, to review our lifestyles, to budget efficiently, to live within our means, and to make necessary cutbacks where they're needed, and trust in the God who promises to meet our needs. you will probably laugh when I say this, but in our home, I say we, but it's probably more me pushes this one. I, I just try to work off a, a philosophy that says don't spend more money than what's coming in. It's simple, but I'll tell you what: if we stick to that, we're never going to find ourselves in debt. Don't spend more money than what comes in. Be Content. Because in my head, there, there's never going to be a point in me complaining about not being able to produce food for the family or clothing for the family if I've got a, a huge Sky TV package deal that I don't need. We need to be sensible. We need to make the right choices in our lives and trust the God who meets our needs. However, there might be some who have got into a really difficult financial situation. And you may need professional help. And what I'll say to you tonight is, get it. Please get it. But also trust God. Make the necessary changes. Seek first his kingdom. Because Jesus tells us, we can't serve both God and money. It's imperative that every Christian has a godly attitude towards money that avoids waste or debt. And in all of that, worry. you know there's something really Tremendously freeing about the focus that, that Jesus gives us in life. About being content. About being content with what we actually have. First Timothy 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is sure, it says, we can take nothing out of this world. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be Content. Jesus' yoke, folks, is easy, and his burden is light. Scripture said, don't be storing up riches in earth or desiring them. Store up riches in heaven. So God in the heaven he promises is what we should put our trust in. So Jesus spoke about worry, but in 1 Timothy 6, he also warned about another problem, how money can become a snare. How money can become a snare, and whilst it can be a bind and bring oppression and pain, I want to respond to that as well, because our second point is, a right attitude towards money can bring great joy. It can bring incredible joy. One of the antidotes that the Bible gives us for not letting money rule over us or become a snare is this, generosity. One of the antidotes, we need to get this one. One of the antidotes the Bible gives us to not letting money become a snare or a bind in our lives or rule over us is generosity. Now, there are lots of ways that we can show generosity to people, but let's stay with the theme of money. Mark chapter 10, 21, Jesus said to a rich man, sell all you have and give it to the poor. He went away sad. Now, Jesus wasn't advocating reckless abandon when it comes to our our money or anything like that. He just knew that this guy's number one was money. And that if God was to take that place, that guy would have to be in a place where he would be prepared to give it all up. If God asked him to, he went away sad. Ironically, having money can be an even more challenging test of who we are. Having money can be an even more challenging test of who we are. A snare comes with greed, but joy comes through generosity. And if there's a reluctance in any one of our hearts to adopt a a spirit of generosity in our lives, alarm bells should sound. I remember reading a story once. It was really inspiring. I'm sure many of you have heard it. It was about how powerful a life lived with this attitude can be, it was about Sir John Lang, who invented the very famous and successful Lang Construction Company. And John Lang developed this very interesting financial plan. He worked out what he needed to live on, saved a little, and gave away the rest. So say, for instance, he earned a lot more than this, but say he earned 10,000 pounds, a simple figure to work with, and he needed 5,000 to live off, well, that was okay. He would save a little and give away the rest. If next year he earned 20,000, he would live off 5,000, save a little, and give away the rest. And as his life went on, and the need to save lessened, he gave away more. Now, this guy was ridiculously successful, and he would have been a multimillionaire time and time and time and time again. But when he died, his estate was worth 371 pounds because he had given it all away. Now, I'm sure he went through difficulties in life, but I can only imagine that through his giving, he knew a lot of joy. He knew a lot of joy in his life. See, the world we live in is all about me, 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 what I can get. That's the heart of the world that we live in. And people have bought into this world's lie that joy is found in acquiring more stuff That's why it shouldn't surprise us that there has never been more unhappy and miserable people on this planet. The lottery produces millionaires every week. But how often do we read the stories of how it ruins their lives because of a wrong focus? Joy is not found in getting more. A Christian's life's not about me, 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 and what I can get. It's about God, 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 and what I can give. And hey, there's the secret of joy. It's finding in what I can give. Acts 20, 35, Paul quotes how Jesus said, it's better to give than it is to receive. Better to give than it is to receive. And one of the many problems I have with the prosperity gospel that we, that we hear so much about is that it has selfishness at its core, worldly selfishness. It says we should give, but the motivation for giving is to get back more, and I just find that abhorrent. The world's all about me, you and I. We should be all about God. Seek first the kingdom, what we can give to him in our lives, and what we can give to each other. And a right attitude towards money brings great joy. One of the other reasons why we should want to give is because a correct view of money looks at it and says, the money we have is not ours. It's God's. It's God's. We're only stewards of what God gives to us. It doesn't belong to us. Another series that we could could do is on on tithing and how we should be supporting God's work in in church and, and across the world. We're only stewards of what God has actually given us. And he's given us much. Generosity should be one of the foundations in our lives. Generosity should be a trademark in our lives as we joyfully give to those in need. And whilst I know there are more than likely different levels of of wealth in this church, we're all rich. By virtue of the fact that we have a roof over our heads, food on our tables, clean water to drink, clothes on our back tonight, and can lead healthy and productive lives means we are rich. And every single one of us should want to have a spirit of generosity and a desire to want to give out of our much. Now, it's not about amounts of money. This is heart stuff. This is heart stuff. The widow's mite emphasizes that. It's not the amount necessarily It's the heart and the sacrifice that goes in behind it. Giving frees us, and it opens our lives up to joy, unspeakable. It's better to give than it is to receive. Did you ever see the the program on television, The Secret Millionaire? Remember seeing that one? Where you had a very wealthy person who would go undercover and go into a community to identify the different projects that were going on and see what they could support. And inevitably, when that person got a heart for something and then by the end of the program had poured tens of thousands of pounds into that project, all of them said this or something like this, it was one of the best things they ever did. Why? Because it's better to give than it is to receive. After 14 years Bill Gates stopped being the richest man on the planet. Not because he had lost his money, but because he decided to give billions of pounds or dollars away to his charity. And over the last number of years, he set up a foundation that challenged all of the world's billionaires to give up half of their wealth and pledge half of their wealth to charity. 158 billionaires have signed up to this, pledging 365 billion pounds to philanthropy and, 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 and charitable third world projects. Anytime I see Bill Gates on TV, he looks remarkably content person. And you know why I believe that is? It's because it's better to give than it is to receive. And he has that spirit of generosity and desire to want to give in his heart. Now, we could all turn around and say, it's all right for Bill Gates, isn't it? He's plenty of, of money. Well, Mother Teresa, she devoted her life to the poor and the suffering in this world when she won the Nobel Peace Prize. She actually refused the winner's banquet, instead requesting that the $192,000 normally spent on the banquet be given to the poor. In India, her life was devoted to the poor. Why? Because it's better to give, and it is to receive Can you imagine, folks, please, try and dream this one. Can you imagine the impact we could make on this planet if everyone in the church worldwide adopted this spirit of giving rather than receiving? I think the answer to the poverty in this world is in the church. And it's in our heart that wants to give and it wants to help and it wants to support. How awesome would it be If we could see the much we have, not as an opportunity to get more, but a blessing to give more. How awesome would that be? If we could see the much we have, not as an opportunity to get more, but a blessing to give more. Poverty and how we respond to it is another massive series that we need to do in church and what we can do to alleviate it has to be at the heart of the church going forward in an even increasing measure because we can't read Scripture authentically and realize that God has a desperate heart to want to reach the poor in the world and the suffering and he wants to do it through you and he wants to do it through me. What good could we do together if every one of us Caught this. How we could feed the hungry. How we could clothe people. How we could provide clean water. I remember somebody saying to me one time, if we want to solve the problem of poverty, provide clean water for people. Provide clean water for people. How great would it be to provide education for folks and to do this on an even greater scale and then all of it show God's love. And some of this poverty is on our own doorstep. What joy! What joy! What joy we can know in our hearts if we live generous lives. There's that old saying, isn't it, that, that those who bring sunshine into the lives of others can't keep it from their own. And that's true. Giving brings joy. You know, if we go to Africa or India, we'll find people who have nothing but have joy. We'll find people who have nothing but they have joy. And you know, sometimes we have this... A bit of arrogance in the West that thinks what the people in the third world need is to have all the stuff and the money we have. Which is bizarre. It's a bizarre concept. Because why would we want those people to become like the miserable lot we have by having all the stuff and the money that we have? The West is a perfect example of how money does not bring joy. What we need to do for people in the third world it's become the answers to their prayers and ensure that they have the basic needs for life. They need to come and show us what joy is. And I guarantee if they did, this message of giving and generosity would be right at the heart of what they share. I've been in, in slums and seen incredible poverty, but met some of the most generous, beautiful, loving people who gave of their hospitality. Absolutely inspiring. Joy, folks, is found not in what we get, but actually in what we give. So tonight, it's just been a a simple look at a warning in Scripture about money that could be given a whole series. We've thought about how God is not against money and us having it. He's against the misuse of it. The The love of money, it's the root of all kinds of evil. What we need to do in life is not idolize money, but have a right attitude towards it that brings focus and joy. What's our focus, guys? Seek first the kingdom. That's the number one, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom. Be content. Be content in life with what God has blessed us with. with the much God has blessed each and every one of us with. Don't get consumed with the desire for more stuff that produces waste or debt and then all of that worry. We've thought about how it's better to give than it is receive. Let's not get sucked into the world's obsession with me, 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 and what I can get. We're all about God and what we can give to each other and to the world in which we we live in, where we see the much we have, not as an opportunity to get more, but a blessing to give more. Joy comes when we hold lightly to the things of this world comes when we hold lightly to the things of this world. It's better to give than it is to receive. And oh, what great joy. <sighs> Come on, what great joy we could add to the beautiful family that we have here in Dundonald Elam. If every single one of us catches this, this vision of this spirit of giving and, and generosity, it needs to be at the heart of everything we do. Prayer, pray that God will add his blessing to those thoughts are, are, are around his word and that there's maybe something there that we can all respond to. I hope so. And what we're going to do now, just as we come to a close in the service, is we're going to sing a number of songs. The worship team are going to come up and join us. The number one in our lives is what? Seek first the kingdom. So what we're going to do is we're going to end this service Maybe a lot of stuff that we need to think. A lot of you have been scribbling uh, quite a lot through that. Maybe a lot of stuff we need to go away, ponder and think about. And please chat to us if if you need to. But let's start the end of our service by worshipping him, by seeking him by using the words of these songs to honor our great God, our great King, our great Lord, and the the wonderful salvation that he has given us and the good that he pours into our lives. Let's use this session to really honor him. But the last song, I think, is Build Your Kingdom. and That's a great anthem to just send us into the week saying, God, I want to live for you. But hey, this is a big part of it how we control our attitude to things and what we need in life and what God has given us. So let's take those thoughts into the week. Live for him because he's good and he loves us. Amen? Okay, come on, we'll stand and we'll worship him together. God bless you all.